As we come down to the scripture, let me ask you, uh, please, to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your kindness to us. Most particularly, we're grateful that you have given to us a book, your word, that continues to amaze us just to simply have it, Lord, that we can read it and know that when we read it, we hear you, because this is the book which you have breathed out. And we know we can trust it because it's infallible, nothing about it is Erroneous, everything is true. And so I pray by your spirit that you would work even now in such a way to cause us to hear you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. I want to read uh, beginning with verse 18. John 21 and verse 18, please. This is the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, that is Jesus, said to show what kind of death he, that is Peter, was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then together we say, the grass wither. The flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Follow me. That's what Jesus said to Peter. It wasn't the first time he'd heard it. He'd heard it before. In fact, when he first met Jesus, uh, that's how Jesus called him. Jesus, uh, Peter was fishing uh, with his brothers, and he said to them, he said, Uh, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, that sounds rather exciting that uh, Peter would say that he's going to make us Fishers of men. At that point, he probably didn't know exactly what that meant, but he would come to know what that meant. And he would experience that after Jesus ascended and sent his spirit and Peter would preach and he would see people come to faith in our Lord Jesus. Uh, Follow me. But, But this time, when Jesus says that Peter is to follow him, there's a certain Paul about that. Because notice... What Jesus says to him, he says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus essentially said to Peter, 
You're going to die by way of crucifixion. That was a sense of stretching out your hands. He wasn't just simply said, you know, when you're old, when you're young, you can dress yourself. When you're old, you, you can't and somebody will do that for you. But he said, no, 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 no. This isn't about just getting old. This is about imprisonment. This is about execution. This is, this is, how, this is how you're going to die. I don't know about you, but many of us have always wondered, what's my future look like? If it looked like this, I'm not sure that we'd really want to know that at any, at any point in time. Because we mustn't romanticize this. We mustn't say, oh, wow, he gets to die as a martyr. What a great thing. It may be a great thing to die as a martyr, but to die by way of crucifixion was a horrible, horrible, painful, cruel, humiliating torturous death. It's unlikely that any of us will die that painfully. But that's what Jesus said. And, and, and he would die by way of crucifixion, no doubt, because he was a follower of Jesus. This is how he would, he would end. Now, it's interesting, you know, when, when Jesus was talking about going away, Peter said to him, I'll, I'll go with you, I'll, I'll die with you. <laughs> And this isn't Jesus getting Peter back saying, okay, buddy, you wanted to do this, so now you get it. It's not that at all. It's just simply Jesus saying, this is the course of your life, Peter. This is what's going to take place. This is the path of your life. Uh, You have no choice in this. A day will come when you'll lose any sense of independence at all. It's not that you can't trust yourself. It's not that you can't go where you want to go on your own power, but it's that you won't be able to because you'll be restricted because of imprisonment and, 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 and there'll come a time when, when, you'll be, when you'll be killed. Now, Jesus was always honest about following him. For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said this, He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Uh, It isn't that Jesus is saying you shouldn't love your parents, you shouldn't love your kids. But he's saying this, that there is no one or nothing that should command a higher affection from you than me. In, In fact, if ever your parents or your children lead you in some way, that you love them so much that you're tempted to disobey God, to do that which is displeasing to him, then then you you mustn't allow that love for your parents or that love for your children to direct your life. Jesus says, I'm the one to direct your life. Your ultimate affection, if you will, is for me. And then in Luke in chapter 9, he continues this same theme and Luke puts it like this from the lips of Jesus verse 23 Luke 9:23 And he said to all if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The way Jesus lines this out is that he says that if you want to follow me, you want to come after me, 
You need to deny yourself. Peter, Peter would know all about denial because he had denied Jesus. And when he denied Jesus, what he said essentially is, I don't know him. And so when we deny ourselves, we're saying to ourselves, I don't know me, particularly my sinful self. I don't know that me anymore. I don't know me. I, I know Christ. And so I don't follow me, my passions, my desires, my wisdom and all of that. But I follow Christ, his passions, his wisdom. I follow him, you see, not me So he says, take up your cross. Peter would do that in a very literal fashion at the end of his life, according to Jesus. But this is to be the daily experience of of believers, Jesus said. And and, and again, crosses for us, you know, we we, we make decorations out of them. We make earrings out of them and necklaces out of them and put them on walls and all that. And that's, that's fine because it's a wonderful reminder to us of the sacrifice of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. But in the, in the days when Jesus was speaking, crosses weren't used as jewelry or decoration or any of that. Crosses were understood to be instruments of execution. And so there's a sense in which Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you must die. So you can live. You must deny yourself. You must Crucify the flesh. The way the Apostle Paul puts that is in Colossians in chapter 3. He puts it like this, verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, and then in verse 8, he says, But now you must put them all away, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to each other, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the, in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's saying, so you put to death all of this, die to all of that, deny all of that in the context of your life. And Jesus says now, uh, follow, follow me. There's a prayer in this little prayer book called the Valley of Vision. Many of you have this. Many of you are aware of it. But it's, it's a prayer. And it's titled Crucifixion and Resurrection. Let me just read a piece of it to you. Give me to die with thee that I may also rise to new life. For I wish to be as dead and buried, to sin, to selfishness, to the world, that I might not hear the voice of the charmer and might be delivered from its lusts. So I want to be so dead to all of that that I can't hear the tempter anymore, that I I have nothing to respond, nothing will respond because I'm, I'm dead to that. It goes on like this. Oh Lord, there is much ill about me. Crucify it. Much flesh within me, mortify it. Purge me from selfishness, the fear of man, the love of approbation, the shame of being thought old-fashioned, the desire to be cultivated, uh, cultivated or modern. Let me reckon my old life death because of crucifixion and never feed it as a living thing. See, that's, that's this sense of, of denying self, of taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. I want to leave all of that behind. 
I want to be dead to all of that and alive, alive to you, Jesus. Lead me. Peter would have to know this. Peter would have to be like this in order to live his life knowing that the way I'm living my life now is going to lead to my literal crucifixion. And if I would stray from this life, then maybe that won't happen. But, but if I stay this course, this is what will happen. Later in Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 57, we have Jesus saying this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but, but please let me first say farewell to those at my home. Well, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we hear that and we say, Jesus, that sounds so unreasonable. And he says, I know. I know that sounds unreasonable to you, but, but I want you to get the point. I want you to get the point that everything, even every good intention, even, even every desire to serve another, even, even to have a place for your head, everything is to be submitted to me. Nothing is to be used as an excuse not to follow me. Please know that. And then in Luke chapter 14, Jesus continues uh, this theme. And here he puts it even more dramatically, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, you notice almost every time there's a great crowd following Jesus, he says something that will thin out the crowd. <laughs> he says something that says, no, 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 no. This is, this is what I'm really talking about. I, I know you're attracted, I just fed you. I, I know you're attracted, I just healed you. I, I know you're attracted, but, but this is what it really means. So verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, we, we know that the command of Jesus is that we're to love each other, we're to love our parents, we're to love our kids. Um, he even talks about, you know, loving our neighbor as ourselves. So why does he put it this way? Well, certainly dramatic, but also to catch us and to say, you do understand that the, you want to compare your love for your parents and your children and yourself to your love to me, that looks like hate. I mean, that's how dramatic it is. That you'll forgo all of that to follow me. That's really how dramatic it is. And if you love your parents, you only do so because that's the command of God. That's the wisdom of God. It wasn't your idea, it was his. And when you love your parents, you're still following me. When you love your children, you're following me. But it's because all of that is submitted to me. That's how it's to be. And then, the classic, of course, in Luke 18, and verse 19, Jesus comes upon this one known to us as the, the rich young man or the rich young ruler. You remember, he comes to Jesus wanting to know about eternal life. And Jesus says to him, all right, sell all that you have and come and follow me. And we read that and we go, oh, do I have to sell everything I have? And that wasn't necessarily Jesus' point. Jesus' point in this particular man, 
was to, to realize what had grabbed his attention, what had grabbed his heart was his stuff. And so Jesus is saying to us, you do realize if you're going to follow me, there's nothing more valuable to me than, than me, nothing to keep you from following, following me. Uh, take inventory of the treasures of your heart and submit all of that to me if you're going to follow me. You come looking to me to satisfy your heart and your soul. Many of you know the story of a woman named Rosario Butterfield. She wrote some time ago a book called The Secrets of a Surprising Conversion. When she was converted, she was living according to her understanding what seemed to be a great life. Uh, She was living with another woman who she thought to be her life partner. She had a great community. She was academically successful. She was a PhD English professor at the University of Syracuse. And all was going well for her. She had a great community. But then, surprisingly, she met an older pastor and his wife, and they befriended her. And in the course of that, she attended their small church. And in the course of that, the people befriended her and loved her. And she began to read the Bible voraciously. She listened to preaching and sat in the midst of worship In the midst of all of that, she realized that God had saved her. And then she looked at her life and she said, if I'm to follow him, then I must follow him. And so she left behind all that she had formerly loved, all that formerly had made her life rich and complete in her eyes her passions, her lover, her community, even ultimately a profession. And, and she asks, after she shares her own testimony in life, she asks the church, so, so what have you given up for the kingdom of God? And, and, and we think, well, I gave up chocolate during Lent. TV for like six weeks. I, I fasted from my phone for, all right, only a day and a half. But still, no, 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 no. What did you put to death? What have you mortified? What have you crucified? What have you separated yourself from because you know that that is displeasing to the Lord? What is it you formerly loved? What formerly filled your life you thought and now you realize, no, it can't. And so what have you given up really for the Lord in that sense? And as Peter hears these words of, Jesus, now, he realizes that if I'm to follow the Lord, I can put no conditions on him, no qualifiers. He says, you're going to follow me and it will lead to this end. You're going to follow me. It's going to lead to your miserable death, crucifixion. And it is miserable. Jesus even says, you won't want to go there. You you won't want to be taken there. But still, that's where you'll go. And Peter realizes 
There are no conditions, no bargaining with Jesus. He doesn't say, listen, I'll give you three more years if I can die in a fishing accident. How about that? Or, no. And none of that, you see. So no, this is, this is your life. No qualifiers, Peter. Follow me. He says that to us, you know. Sometimes, as I've thought about my own life and talked with others, I, I realize we don't realize we have conditions on the Lord until something happens. You know, our health begins to fail and we say, this isn't fair, Lord. Uh, um, I'll follow you if, 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 if just my health will improve. Or we lose a loved one and we, we think, oh, please, Lord, I'll follow you. But, 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 but. Or our job is tenuous, so we don't have one. Uh, Lord, I'll follow you if you give. Lord, I'll follow you if. What are your conditions? What are the things that you think that if the Lord demanded of you, you could not give to follow him? What are the things if were taken from you, you would think, I have no life. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm all you need. I really am all you need. Trust me. Walk with me. No conditions. There's a second consideration in this passage uh, as well. After Jesus says all of this to Peter, uh, Peter turns to John who's there and he says, what about him? In other words, you, you might think that John's really, I mean, Peter was being nice. He said, wow, if this is going to happen to me, I, I hope John does better. But, but you get the point from the way Jesus responds that that's not the attitude here. Because the exclamation point, at least in my version, is a, is a good punctuation. Because Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about him. You, and the you in Greek is emphatic at that point. It's like bold you in caps with an exclamation point after it. You, don't look at him. You, rather, Follow me. You often wonder about the disciples. And I think about Peter and John uh, from time to time. You know, they were business partners. They were both in the inner circle of, of Jesus. They were both there at the transfiguration. They were both at the Garden of Gethsemane. But you wonder sometimes about their relationships. You remember there was an occasion when James and John came to Jesus and said essentially, We'd like to sit on your right hand and your left hand when you come into your glory. And if I'm Peter, I'm going, uh, who am I, chop liver? Where do I get to sit? What about, why you guys? Right? Um, then there's Peter denies Jesus, but John is at the cross with Mary. Jesus speaks to John and he says, take care of my mom. Hmm. And then even uh, at the resurrection, uh, Peter and John run to the tomb. Uh, John gets there first, just looks in. John writes. And then Peter gets there and goes in. But then it says, John believed. What about Peter? What about, what about him? And now Jesus says to Peter, you're going to die of this horrible death. Now, he could have said, when Peter said, what about John? He could have said, well, he's going to be known as the apostle of love. And while he'll be exiled, exiled for a little bit on the island of Patmos, 
He'll receive the greatest revelation of glory that anybody has ever gotten. Parenthetically, it'll confuse the church for generations to come. But still, that's, and, and it'll die of an old age and he'll be known as the beloved apostle, the great pastor of the church. That probably wouldn't have helped. No comparisons. Jesus said, I have your life laid out for you. We get it. We know envy. We know in the course of our own lives. We look at others and the success of others, our friends, and we, we congratulate them. But something deep inside is saying, God, why did they get that and I don't? Why do they have the job that they love and I don't? Why do they have the family that they have and I don't? Why do they get married and I haven't? Why do they have children and I don't? Why do their kids seem to be doing so well in school and mine aren't? Why do they have their health and I don't? Why am I going through this particular situation and they're not? We we get that. What's yours? I mean, where's your bit of envy? I read Psalm 73. It's the classic envy passage where the psalmist looks at his life and he says, listen, I'm really trying to follow after the Lord. But I have this little car and my pagan neighbor drives this huge SUV. And, 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 and I only make this much, but my, my neighbor who blasphemes day and night makes money hand over fist. And my family hasn't been on a vacation in years. And yet, look at that family over there. I know they're in my church, but really, I'm just as holy as they are. So why? We get it. We understand. We understand envy, the wisdom of the Proverbs speaks to us of this in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It's almost nothing that produces bitterness in us more quickly than envying the life of another, especially when we think ourselves to be at least their equal. But here was John, Jesus says to him, follow me. Interestingly, of course, when John writes his gospel, it's almost certain that Peter has already been executed. And John is older. And it could be that if people thought that John wasn't going to die and Jesus would come before John died, that they were expecting Jesus at any moment. And so Peter had to kind of set the record. I'm sorry, John had to kind of set the record straight by saying this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to them, follow me. This is how we're to live. We're to keep our eyes not on each other in that sense, but on, on Jesus and follow after him. What does this tell us? Well, first, it tells us something about Jesus. And he's the Lord. He has the authority to lay out our lives and to call us, command us to follow him and him alone. We realize that Jesus has a plan for history 
has a plan for the church, and he has a path for each of us as well. And he says, now follow me in, in this path. You're to put no conditions upon him, no qualifiers on where he leads, and make no comparisons to others. To be content with your life and live it where he takes you. He is the Lord. Now we have to realize that we're not all going to be the same. Somebody once said that we make ice cubes, God makes snowflakes. In the sense that that we're all different from each other. And that's simply the case. Some of us are going to be more attractive than others. Some are more successful than others. Some of us are going to be healthier than others. Some of, the, some of us are going to have particular lives different from the others. Callings, ministries, all of that. But he says, no, be content where you are. Trust me. Be content where you are in the midst of this. No qualifiers, uh, no comparisons. How was Peter to do this? How was Peter to do this? How is Peter to follow Jesus, knowing where he was going, put no qualifiers, make no comparisons, to be joyful, not bitter, to be content, not disappointed? How is he to live like that? I have to tell you, as I was thinking about this this week, all week long I was saying, Peter needs to be at VBS. Peter needs to be at Vacation Bible School. If you're called to this kind of thing, what we all need is to get what our kids got this week. Because on the first day, they learned when life is unfair, there you go. When life is unfair, God is good. I mean, what could be more unfair than than Peter trying to be a faithful apostle of Jesus, loving people, coming to them, great sacrifice personally and otherwise, and telling them the great gospel message, telling them the great story of Jesus, and they turn around and crucify him and kill him. I mean, what's more unfair than that? But deep, he had to know. He didn't know the, the verse that the kids learned this week from Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And when life is unfair, God will help you. God will be your stronghold. God will see you through it. God will prove himself faithful, even if the world turns against you. Even if your life is taken. You know the promise of Jesus. He said, listen, whoever comes after me, whoever follows me, uh, will receive in this life everything imaginable that you need. And in the life to come, a hundredfold of that. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. Peter, you know that when all this turns against you, when they, when they... When they dress you, when they take you to a place where you don't want to go, Peter, I'll be with you. And I have good for you. Trust me. Then Peter would have to go through day two of VBS as well. And he'd have to realize that when life is scary, there you go. 
When life is scary, God is good. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I don't care how strong your faith is. When someone beats you and puts you on a cross to die, that's not a happy day. That's a frightful experience. Fear is real. That's a frightful experience in the midst of in the midst of that. To die by way of crucifixion, as I said, is a horrible death. You know this if you've studied this at all, if you thought about this at all, if you've gone through any good Friday services, you realize that you die in crucifixion by way of suffocation because because you're hanging there and, and you're trying to lift yourself up so that your lungs can fill with air and not water. And but after a while you just you just can't do that anymore and you just die of suffocation. In fact, it was merciful to break the legs of a person being crucified so that they, they, could, they would just die faster. That's a scary prospect. And there are times when the Lord calls us to things that seem scary to us. It may put us in situations about which we seemingly have no choice because either we lost our job or we can't have children or there's no one to marry or, or whatever it happens to be. And we find ourselves in difficult situations and we find ourselves feeling very, very vulnerable where the world seems very big and we seem very small. And we have to remember that when life is scary, God is good. We need to know that wonderful Psalm 23 verse 4 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I shared last Sunday my obsession with Psalm 23. Um, and my weirdness about thinking about death. And I've even thought about Ways of dying that might be torturous even. Karen knows I wake her up in the middle of the night sometimes. And she said, Bill, it's just a dream. Uh, she wakes me up, brother. But we have to realize that we're in the worst case scenario. The psalmist posits it's this valley of the shadow of death. We have to realize that even there, we must be cognizant of the fact, aware of the fact that God is with us. Even in the scariest, the scariest of times. And then uh, Jesus was very clear to Peter that his life would change uh, dramatically. He would go through a period of time when he could sort of come and go as he pleased, dress himself, live his life. And, but then there would come a time when he couldn't do that anymore, that things would, would change and you get the sense it would change for the worse for him. And so he needed day three of EBS, which was that when life changes... There you go. Even when life changes, God is good. Even when things change for the worst, the more difficult, that we can say, no, 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 God is good in the midst of, of this. I mean, there's a sense in which you might understand, I relate to this passage that when you were young, you could do what you wanted, but when you're old, not so much. And as life changes, However, those changes occur. You experience that. Karen and I have done, and Chad and Tiffany now do premarital counseling. And one of the things that we try to do with young couples is to open their eyes just a bit and get some of the sparkles out. Uh, but uh, we begin to talk about life and life's transitions. From getting married, graduating from college, getting first job, to buying first house, having first kids. 
to school with kids, to life with kids, to life in marriage, to taking care of older parents in the midst of that, to graduation, to on and so forth and so on. Changes in job, changes in this, change. changes can be scary. And so, we have to remember that even in the midst of all these changes, that God is good. Psalm 106, verse 1, that our kids learned, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. That should be on our lips as we go through life and we encounter things which run counter. It seems the life is good and God is good and we have to remind ourselves, no, He's good. His steadfast love exists right now in the midst of this situation. And then Peter needed day four of VBS, which is when life is sad, it wasn't a happy occasion to be crucified. Oh, there's some exhilaration, I suppose. I've talked to people, read stories. When you're persecuted for your faith, what's that like? Read stories of the accounts of last words of martyrs and, and we can see their God-given courage and bravery and all that. But it's only because they know that when life is sad, God is good. We all experience sadness in various ways, various losses, various discouragements, various difficulties in life. And we know that the Lord is sovereign. And it's easy to look around when we go through these Difficult circumstances, circumstances that bring grief to us, that make us sad, and look at all our happy friends in the midst of that. I told this story before that when my wife Karen was in a coma 10 years ago, bacterial meningitis, and I was just simply watching her breathe, hoping for the next one. At our hospital, they do a delightful thing, which is when a baby's born, they play the little lullaby song over the speakers. And so here I am, praying for one more breath for my wife, not knowing what life would look like even if she continued to breathe. And I knew somebody was happy. And I had a choice to make, to be bitter or to be thankful for that baby. I ended up okay after a while. I wish I'd had day four of VBS. Because then I would have remembered that when life is sad, God is good. He really is. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And finally, Peter would have to know day five as well. Because day five was when life is good, Exactly. When life is good, God is good. There's a sense in which we can look back over the course of our lives, and even in the midst of difficulties perhaps, but we can, we can think about the beauty and the wonder and the kindness and the goodness of God through us through the course of, 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 of our lives. I mean, Peter, even as he was going to that crucifixion of his own, his own death as a martyr for Jesus, he could look back and perhaps he think, why me? Why did... 
of all the fishermen in Galilee, why did he choose me to follow him? Why did I get this? Why are my sins forgiven? Well, why did he call me so that on the day of Pentecost I could preach that sermon when thousands would get saved? Why did he enable me to go to Samaria and lay hands on people and the Holy Spirit would come? Why did he enable me to, to, to see this vision and go to the household of Cornelius and this Gentile and be able to realize that the gospel of Jesus is for the whole world? And, and why did he enable me to, to walk this life and then to begin to think that this death of mine isn't the death of me, I, I will live. And, and I will live in the presence of the Lord and a day will come when I will return and when he does, there will be a new heavens and a new earth and for all of eternity, I with all those brothers and sisters of mine will be together. Life is good because God is good. So you see, when Jesus calls us, And he says, don't put any qualifiers on following me. Just follow me. And he says, trust me. I'm good. I'm good. All the time. I'm good. You can trust me. Don't make any comparisons. Don't think I'm being gooder to them. Don't think any of that. No, 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 no. Follow me. This is the course of your life. This is how I've laid it out. I know what it looks like to you in comparison to others. Trust me. All things in your life will work together for your good. This is the way that you'll glorify God. Walk with me. Trust me. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word because it is life to us. As your spirit works it in us, it resonates. You say, of course, how else could it be? We look at our lives and sometimes it seems unfair, sometimes it's scary, sometimes it changes in ways surprise us and perhaps we don't want it to change and yet we trust you because we know that you're good there are times when it's sad but we trust you because though we may not see it we know that you are good and that you do good particularly to all those who call upon your name. So God, on this day, I pray for us all. I pray for us as a church that we wouldn't compare ourselves with other churches. We would just be the church you've called us to be. Others bigger, others smaller, other richer, other this or that, more gifted probably. Certainly others have better pastors. But Father, that we would walk the path that you've given to us. Father, in our particular lives, it's easy for us to think, God, I'll follow you if you, God, I'll follow if you don't. But yet we know we're just to follow you. We know it's easy for us to compare to the lives of others, thinking theirs must be better than ours. Help us to know that we don't really know the inside of that other person's life, but also that 
you're at work in us. Each one of us. To do that which is good. Conform us, we pray, to the image of our Lord Jesus in the midst of all this, for nothing could be better than that. And may we glorify you in all the ways to which you call us, that you may be honored. And the day will come when we'll rejoice in your very presence. And we will say, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And this I pray, in Jesus' name.